us at WGNSRadio.com. You can check us out and chat with us live on the Mr. Murfreesboro Facebook page. And we're going to get the show started. Bill is not here tonight. Bill, hello, if you're listening, we miss you. But in his place, we have a great guest host, our friend and Murfreesboro City Councilman, Ronnie Martin. Hi, Michael Lynn. Hello, Ronnie. I'm glad you're back. I'm glad to be here. I'm very excited to substitute for Mr. Murfreesboro, but uh, I promise you he will have a place next week. So, <laughs> Ronnie came up at night and he was wondering whether or not he should try to act like Bill tonight. And we decided that, you know, we'll just say that for bill and ronnie can be ronnie I'll be tonight <laughs> okay and we also have two special guests for you tonight instead of just one we have county commissioner pettis reed hello mr reed hello glad to be here with you this thank evening. you for joining us i know we're going to talk about a little some numbers and some data that you've put together for us yeah we've got a little bit of things to look at Try not to uh, bore you. Hey, I got I got an intro. Oh yeah, that right. (laughs) (laughs) All right, and Ronnie, why don't you introduce our other guests for us tonight? Uh, We also have with us Carl Hudgens. Uh, Carl, say hello to all the fans. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All the fans. Uh, Carl is our, uh, if I, I don't even know your title, so Director of Emergency Management Services? Uh, I'm Director of EMS. Director of EMS. Okay, so Director of EMS for the county. And uh, so anytime you have an ambulance that comes to transport you somewhere, that rolls up through Carl's responsibility. That's correct. Okay. All right. Well, we are excited to have y'all here. I'm loving this mix of city and county tonight. All friends. We're all friends. I know. Friends. We're all friends. Yeah, we need each other. I love that. We do need each other. I love it anytime I can work with the county because working for City TV, sometimes we get to and sometimes we don't. So I always like it when we can. Okay. So we are going to get into, since Mr. Murfreesboro is not here tonight, I know Pettis, I know you and him have been talking this week about some cool stuff that you've been working on and then you put together so why don't you tell us a little bit about that okay what what we were talking about what bill and myself had discussed one thing in particular i think what uh you need to understand bill and myself both serve on the uh, rutherford county historical society Uh, i'm currently vice president over there and he's on the board there but we got talking about a comparison of the 1918 um, flu. I mean, that's something that comes up all the times when you're talking about the COVID situation that we have right now uh, going on within the county and within the country right here. So everybody always compares that to the 1918 Spanish flu. Mm -hmm. And he said, wouldn't it be a good idea to maybe we do some comparison right here in Rutherford County and within the state of Tennessee and see, do they really compare? Are they anything like what uh, what we're seeing? Is it anything like the COVID? Is the flu that we had back in those old, uh, over 100 years ago anything like what we're seeing today? So I had already done some studies on that, reading on that, uh, comparing uh, the history and going that direction. So uh, what I uh, did, I went back and I spent this afternoon today going back over it again. And I think it's quite interesting when you do look at this that they do compare as far as the symptoms are concerned, the way that it uh, did come upon the country, the way it showed up here in Tennessee, and, and what we saw back in 1918. The interesting thing is everybody calls it the Spanish flu. And 
poor old Spain back then in 1918 got all the blame, and it wasn't their fault whatsoever. The fact is, back in 1918, if people know their history, we were in the middle of World War I. Mm-hmm. And World War I was like any other war. Uh, each country that was involved in the war at that time did not want anybody to think that they were weak, that they were going to lose the war, that they were going to that their population was uh, involved in anything else other than winning the war to end all wars. So what was done is most governments that involved in the war, they, uh, they stifled the news. They basically said, do not report anything about what's going on in the country other than the work towards the war and trying to end the war. So there was nothing reported as far as the flu was happening back here in this country, uh, in Europe, in, uh, in the United Kingdom, in Germany, in France, anywhere else. There was nothing else other than Spain. Spain was neutral during World War I. Mm-hmm. So the only thing they had to report on in the news was the flu. <laughs> So due to that, everybody thought Spain was where it all began. Okay. Wow. And they got the credit for it. So mm. everybody called it the Spanish flu. That, those, that people over there are the ones that caused it all to happen. But as the re- research has gone into this and where they found it did not come from Spain whatsoever. Interesting. Uh, it came from Asia. Okay. Did it? Really? I mean, it did. It came from Asia. In fact, some think it's, it came from China. Hmm. and uh, But they're not sure. They're not exactly sure exactly where it come from. They do know within the United States it all began up in Boston, come through Boston Harbor with sailors returning back from World War One. They brought it. That's where the first outbreak began. It started coming from there as soldiers moved from camp to camp. And uh, compared to where we are today, uh, the suggestion from the government was avoid large groups. They wanted all the army to avoid going anywhere else. It didn't work. Hmm. They still continued to go wherever they wanted to. And as they progressed out of Boston, it spread across the United States. And that's how it all started coming here. The first places it showed up in Tennessee was in Memphis. That's when the first outbreak started showing. And then it just gradually moved its way to populated areas. Uh, Rutherford County was very fortunate at that time. We were not anything like we are today. Wasn't a hot spot for it then? It was not a hot spot in Rutherford County at that time. If the councilman had been here at that time, uh, it might have been a little different situation as far as uh, elections were concerned, whatever. There was only in the entire uh, county at that time was somewhere in the neighborhood around 30 to 33,000 people wow. in the entire county. Wow. Where now we're, we're approaching 350,000. Uh, Murfreesboro had 5,300 people. Wow. Uh, within the city of Murfreesboro. Smyrna had a little over 400 people in it. Hmm. So that gives you some idea of the population. The rest of them were in the rural areas, they were scattered everywhere. This was actually a godsend as far as Rutherford County was concerned because we were not overly populated in that Mm. way. So people were already on the outskirts. They didn't travel that much. They didn't go as far. But it still did hit Rutherford County to the point where we were seen quite uh, like we were uh, like we are this time where as far as the flu did it did come on down it uh, it moved across the state we did were affected Um, Nashville in particular. Uh, within a uh, three-week period, they had a thousand deaths. 
Wow. Now, can you imagine that happening? Uh, say, take Murfreesboro right here in mm-hmm. a in a three week period, having a thousand deaths. This flu was very uh, contagious. Uh, all you had to do was be near someone, and you got this flu. Hmm. This was a very contagious flu from what everything that I have read and where it come from. More contagious than... The COVID. COVID? More contagious than the COVID. Wow. Uh, the way that uh, it spread, uh, it, it, it was... The COVID, you know, it, it, you almost have to have those droplets mm-hmm. to, to affect you. This flu did not necessarily work that way from what they can tell. The thing is, there was not a whole lot kelp as far as records, they were so involved of fighting this and trying to deal with it hmm. that uh, there wasn't that many records. Plus, a lot of the health officials, uh, nurses, doctors, they were all involved in the war effort. Right. And a lot of them were all overseas uh, in the war. Mm-hmm. So there wasn't that many to deal with all of this. Uh, when it first started showing up here was in um, late spring of 1918, uh, started in June coming across the the state the first showing up in memphis Uh, then it worked its way it was a low numbers as it first came and then the big wave hit in the fall Hmm. and at that time it really spiked it started going immediately Uh, you know everybody today is is arguing and fussing about the mask they're fussing about the fact if you will remember if your mind can go back to to the fall of uh, last year and the winter of last year, what we were doing, mm-hmm. uh, you know, people were, they were telling people to close the theaters. They're telling people to not do sporting events. They were telling people don't go to church. Churches were closing, uh, wear a mask, all this sort of thing. 1918, the same thing happened. Mm. Uh, the churches in Murfreesboro closed. Did they? Theaters closed. Uh, everybody was told don't get in large groups. Schools closed. And you want to know something that happened back in that time? Nobody argued or said anything. That was going to be one of my questions. What was the... They did it. Yeah. Nobody argued a thing. Because at that time, health officials were on a pedestal somewhat. They, mm-hmm. they knew what they were doing, they said. They, they, they listened to them. They, they, they paid attention. And the mask come out. They said this was a good way to protect yourself and whatever. And then the word quarantine come in mm-hmm. and that's when I, I, you may have seen old movies yes where you've seen the sign on the door that you know it had quarantine on the door you couldn't mm-hmm. come near it that's when all of this started people were quarantined in their homes they wouldn't go near the homes and that's when a lot of this all began and and people would quarantine themselves because this flu whenever it would hit um People could be doing just fine early in the morning. Never thought they had a thing in the world wrong with them. By late afternoon, uh, some of them could actually die by that, that fast. Wow, by the, that in time. the day. And, and when the spike hit, uh, it was affecting the largest people, largest age group was uh, those when the ages of 40 to 50 years of age. Hmm. The healthy robust individuals are the ones that it did affect the, the worst hmm. uh, it did affect a lot of children it uh, caused high temperature it caused a tremendous cough uh, chills all those sort of, and, and if you, these sound familiar 
it's very much sound a lot like COVID. Mm-hmm. It did cause a respiratory problem and led to pneumonia, hmm. and it led to it very fast. One of the major problems, the reason people died so fast, the reason that this was happening, there was nothing else to fight it. Hmm. Uh, we just wasn't in the antibiotic stage. They didn't understand exactly how to deal with that. So as you went by this, there was a three-wave period that went from 1918, starting in the spring, went into the fall. It peaked uh, right at that time, um, going uh, from October or September, peaking in uh, November, December, January. It starts going back down. Then you go into spring. It spikes again. Um, at that time in the spring, another round comes across, and then it goes into May, and it disappears. Hmm. Totally disappears. Wow. Why did it disappear? I tell you what, let's do this. <laughs> let's uh, take a, a little break here. We're getting time for our break, and then we will dive back into that. This is super interesting. Thank you for all of this info, by okay. the way. I appreciate that. I'm not a historian like Bill, so I'm, I'm learning a lot tonight. Again, you are listening to the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. I'm Michael Lynn White with my guest host tonight, Ronnie Martin. We'll be right back. If you enjoy acoustic guitars, stop by the showroom at the Gallagher Guitar Company on Walnut Street in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. We are open to the public every Saturday from 10 until 2 and at other times by appointment. We also offer educational tours of the guitar building process. And be sure to check out our live music venue. Why go to Nashville when you can hear live music in downtown Murfreesboro? Look us up at GallagherGuitar.com. Has your home experienced storm damage, or do you just need a remodel? Oakstone Builders LLC is your answer. They also build custom homes. You can find them at 3173 South Church Street here in Murfreesboro, or call 931-488-5967. That's 931-488-5967. It's Bill. Did you know I also sell for parts real estate? Meredith Thomas and I make up the Thomas Wilson team. We have over 25 years of real estate experience and have helped nearly 1,000 families buy and sell real estate here in Murfreesboro, Rutherford County, and Middle Tennessee. Why not choose us to help you and your family with all your real estate needs? Give us a call at 615-406-5872 or 615-896-4040. Or you can follow me at Mr. Murfreesboro on Facebook or Instagram. Curve them, crack them, or bend them. We can mend them. Come by Wheelworks, located 516 South Church Street, for a free estimate. We also sell performance and passenger tires, as well as aftermarket and factory wheels. We also install lift kits, and we've been sponsoring and serving this community for 15 years. Come see us at Wheelworks at 516 South Church Street, or give us a call at 615-849-3848. Grand 
Grand Slam Collectibles is your place in Murfreesboro to buy, sell, and trade sports cards, collectibles, and memorabilia. Head over to their website only at GrandSlam.com. They're located at 1254 Northwest Broad Street. You can also reach them by phone at 615-809-2362 or become one of their over 30,000 followers on Facebook at Grand Slam Collectibles 615. Regal Tile provides professional closing services with their decades of experience in all types of real estate transactions. They can adapt to any situation and handle it with ease. They will be responsible for safeguarding and properly distributing all transaction funds and documents. When it comes to property rights, Regal Tile will provide peace of mind that every customer deserves. You can find them at 316 West Main Street here in Murfreesboro or online at regaltitlellc.com or by phone at 615-295-8042. Thank you for listening. We are back at the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. I'm Michael Lynn White with my awesome guest host tonight because Bill Wilson can't be here with us tonight. Ronnie Martin. Hey, Michael Lynn. Hello. Thank you all to our guests being here and Mr. Pettis Reed. We are so excited and I'm so interested in all of this um, COVID and Spanish flu that we're learning tonight. So if, if you were listening, uh, Commissioner Reed just talked through uh, so many of the similarities between what we refer to historically as the Spanish flu, the Spanish flu, and he gave some context to why it was called that, and uh, some of the similarities between um, how the uh, numbers and counts rose uh, and how they fought, how they fell. And how it just disappeared eventually, and so it'll be interesting to see from a COVID standpoint if that if that uh, pattern is is followed again. But talk a little bit about uh, one of the things that you said was that because of the medical professionals we had at the time, uh, when we went through the quarantining and the mask and so many of the things that that we just went through or are still going through with COVID. Um, there was not as much pushback, I think, from citizens. And one of the things that right. I speculate is I think as a society, um, we have become maybe um, a little more entitled to our opinion and our freedoms and things like that than maybe we did 100 years ago. Um, and I think people are, are more interested in controversy than they are compliance. Uh, and I think they, they leap sometimes before they think in, in a lot of cases. But talk a little bit about that and just uh, share okay. your opinion about that. Well, Councilman, what, you, what I think everybody has to remember in this, this was, as I said before, during World War One. Right. Many of the uh, boys had just... Had, just left from here and i mean they left right literally yeah uh i have a picture of my grandfather on the steps of the courthouse up here along with a bunch of other rutherford Countyans. i'm sure most everybody has seen that picture mm. uh it was on a calendar here uh back in 1918 when they left or 17 and uh it's all of them with their suitcases they're all wearing coats and ties yes. they're on the steps yep. and they're getting ready to board the train to to head off and and everybody was in this mood of we're going to go win the war. We're all for the war effort and whatever. 
And people were in short supply of everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, people was giving totally towards the war effort. They were all for the United States. They were all for the country. Everything was directed that way. Mm-hmm. And the people did everything they could to win that war. Then this hits. Mm-hmm. On July 4th of that year, 1918, the country had a 4th of July parade. It was called the... Uh, Fourth of it was called the Fourth Loan for Liberty Parade in Wash in uh, New York City. Mm-hmm. They packed that city, not thinking anything about the flu. Mm-hmm. The streets were packed. the The buildings were packed, and they said that flu literally followed the parade down the street. Wow! Infecting people mm-hmm. said literally infect infect them. Said in fact it infected so many people at that parade that they didn't have time to take the posters and the uh, garlands and things off the street because so many people were infected. Mm. And in New York, after that parade, uh, I read uh, from a a group of ladies that were writing what happened after all of this, that people were taken out of their house and put in the front yard that had died. Oh, wow. And they just put them out there. There's so many dying, they just had to carry them off like this. Hmm. And you had situations like this all over the country. Well, people saw this to a point where if somebody told you there was something that was going to keep you from dying, you're going to do it. Right. Um, One thing, and I think this is something quite interesting that that follows a tradition today to a lot of people. One thing they found to break up this congestion that people had in their chest that would come from this flu was that uh, they they would give a lot of people quinine and things like that to, to do that. That's all they had. Mm-hmm. But they found that a strong alcohol mixture would do that. Like to drink it. To drink it. All right. <laughs> Jack Daniels. No, it wasn't Jack wasn't Daniels. Jack Daniels. <laughs> wasn't Jack Daniels. Yeah. Uh, it's something closer to home here. Okay. And uh, there had been a major raid in Memphis. Okay. It was uh, over, uh, they said over uh, $50,000 head of uh, moonshine. Moonshine. Uh, had oh been accumulated goodness. in Memphis, and they were getting ready to prosecute down there. The federal authorities were received word from judges up in Washington D.C. to release those and release that that moonshine. Wow! Which today would have been valued somewhere in the neighborhood of a million dollars. It was antiseptic back then, is and, what it and was. And turn it loose to hospitals for wow. medic for medicines. Wow! And they found out by using the moonshine, which was a stronger alcohol content, mm. it would break up that congestion. Mm. I'm glad to know this, Pettis Reed. I'm about to go hit up my well, friends in Grundy County for their stash. Well, this right here was only during this time. But Darn. but what they found out in that, and I, I know I've, I've often told people at the Historical Society, I said, that's why my grandparents and, and your great-grandparents and all those individuals always keep just that little bit of bottle, you know, under the cabinet there. <laughs> yeah. You know, they said, you know, they're very church-going and all this, but they got that there just in case, you know. Emergency um, rations. And they used the term, the grip gets you. The grip will get the you. Grip, the grip was what they called this flu. Interesting. Uh, around Middle Tennessee. You hmm. got the grip. Wow. The grip or the consumption. 
Hmm. The consumption. And, and that's what it was called. Wow. But they found out that that would, would uh, help alleviate some of this. So they were using that quite a bit uh, through, uh, through the hospitals and whatever. But as they worked through this, they would have these waves that would come through. Uh, the waves, a lot of times, I think, uh, were the results of the fact uh, much like the waves we're having right here with the COVID, mm-hmm. you'd have a large group of people that get together, and then it would come back. Or they really don't know. I I brought with me tonight just to show Carl. Uh, we use graphs for everything here, like how it works here in this county. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the graph of what these are, mm. which looks a whole lot what COVID has done here. Right. Uh, you know, we had all of that during the winter. Uh, when spring somewhat come about, it went down. Mm-hmm. We went through the summer months, and now it's come back up again. Uh, Can it I see did, this graph? It did the same thing. Because we don't have enough moonshine. I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> but but that, that's, a, that's a lot of it, and uh, uh, it operated the same way. But as I said, when the spring of uh, 1919 come around, in May, it went away just totally disappeared an interesting thing about that flu and that virus it also disappeared where nobody had a copy of it or they didn't save it Mm. so it wasn't kept in a lab or anything like that and it wasn't found again until the middle of uh, I think around 2005 2008 and it was found in a body that had been frozen in Antarctica wow somewhere. How interesting and they were able to take it and and find the, that virus in there well they took that virus uh, to try to determine anything about it and they placed that virus in uh, a couple of monkeys to see and they it, it resembled all of this right here mm-hmm. what they found in this and Carl was telling me the other day something about the booster shots and if you don't need the booster shot what it could do to you the, the storm you were telling me what happened to these monkeys that virus that they gave them caused the storm and they had an over reaction to the antibodies within their own bodies hmm. that and it affected the monkeys in this sort of way but uh, and they said they think that was some of the things that was affecting the people to die so rapidly is that they already had some type of antibody already built into their bodies that when they got this virus, mm-hmm. it killed them. Wow. They, they developed the, uh, what did you call that, Carl? The, I, it, I just call it the antibody storm. Hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's the... I think, I think I read that, too, that, that it's just an overabundance of too much antibody. And uh, they said uh, that uh, they, they seemed to think that was somewhat of the what reason it, does, it did affect some people, the strong-body individuals, mm-hmm. but the fact it was just too much antibody in there. Well, one of the things you said that is so hard to visualize is the idea that um, the, the Spanish flu, as we've named it, uh, was taking lives, and, and there were bodies in the front yards. Yeah. You know, it's so hard to imagine that because, you know, obviously – that was 100 years ago you know and um we have certainly in our community and across the nation you know had losses related to covid but you know i don't think we have seen that we've certainly not seen it in rutherford county nobody's i think taking bodies out in the front yard but we were having a conversation about 
um, where those bodies go in our county and how that process works. And you were talking about some interesting things related to what we're trying to do from the standpoint of that. That's a hard thing to talk about. Nobody likes to talk about it. But talk a little bit about what happens when someone gets sick, if they do pass, how the hospital's connected, and, and, and the process between what happens and as they find their final resting place. Okay, well, <clears throat> let's just start how we would do it on the EMS side. Right. Uh, we're called to someone's house, and somebody's passed away, and uh, we will pronounce them and if the family um, we'll do a couple things for them first we're going to investigate the reason why the person uh, passed away work very closely with law enforcement and once we've determined that there's been no crime committed mm -hmm. As far as the county's concerned, there's no further investigation needed as the cause of death. Um, you know, if they got an extensive medical history and they have all of the the uh, conditions that would eventually cause death, and law enforcement is done with their investigation, we will either take that uh, person to the funeral home okay. that's within Rutherford County. And if the family hadn't decided or wasn't, you know, expecting this death, um, we'll take them to the hospital over at St. Thomas Rutherford to the morgue, and they've been very generous in letting us um, use it for that reason. Uh, but we don't have a county morgue currently? Currently we don't. Okay. But it is in discussion because as this county grows, we can't um, burden the hospital. Sure. So they're basically providing that service for us. They are. Uh, mm -hmm. They're being good neighbors. But at the same time, we don't want to wear a welcome out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And um, so I've been working real closely with uh, Chairman Riggs here and Mayor Ketron. If both um, can see the future of this because our county is growing so much. You know, the more people you have, unfortunately, the more deaths you're going to have. <clears throat> and talk about that real quick, because you gave a number while we were prior to coming in on the air that I was surprised to hear, and I think most people would be surprised to hear the number of deaths we have in our community. Uh, we average around 220 to 250 a month. So that, that's just hospice patients, nursing homes, um, accidents just uh everything I, I would have never thought that and and i guess it's because we don't spend a lot of time thinking about that those right are, those are not fun things to think about it's it's just a subject nobody really wants to talk about yeah but um, um and a lot of this is not COVID related yeah the biggest part of it is the growth of our county okay yeah this mm. population mm-hmm and um but if the family hadn't decided, you know, what funeral home they would like, we will take them over to St. Thomas Rutherford, and they'll hold them. And um, 
you know, and sometimes, unfortunately, we have some families that won't claim. Mm. And then once that happens, then the county is responsible for... Um, and is that, um, I'm sure some of that would have to be people are here and nobody knows them. That's probably part of it. But my, my guess is there's some financial aspect of that, too. Yes, sir. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. And... Um, <clears throat> I can remember 20 years ago, it was just seldom that a family wouldn't take claim of uh, somebody that's passed away, but uh, unfortunately, as this county has gotten bigger, it's starting to become a little bit more common. And so that expense is, is kind of picked up by a county. It's picked up by the county. Yeah. That's something that you really don't think about. And nope. how sad, you know, because there you're right. Now, if you claim them, then you got to pay to forum yeah i feel like we need to turn some positive music on i here. know this is kind of morbid goodness <laughs> well, but well, it's interesting though yeah. and i guess we need to think about those things yeah well ronnie that, that's exactly it what you said there we need need something more positive but but that is the situation we have that's right uh that nobody wants to think about this nobody wants to talk about this and uh, that's what gets us into some of these situations just like this right here right uh you know, everybody wants to say, well, you know, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, and, and all this sort of thing. But yet, these things do happen. This is life. This is what is part of what we do each and every day here. Mm -hmm. right. uh, you have an individual sitting here on the other side of me that he sees this. Right. And um, I didn't realize that till here I became chairman of public safety right here, and I started working with him and I started seeing all this and I thought how have we done that all these years here and it's just due to the fact of like you say hey I don't want to talk about that right and and that's that's how we have done this you know we spend a lot of time on the news talking about COVID numbers we talk about how many people have COVID how many people have died and that's where we stop right we stop right there hmm. There's not thing. Okay, what happens after that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where where do we go from there? Now they will discuss. You know, sometimes oh, how many hospital beds we have, and then how many this we have, and all this sort of thing. But said, you no, know, what goes after that? Well, I don't want to talk about that. Right. Because that might happen to me, and I don't want to. I don't want to discuss that whatsoever. Well, you know, it comes a time uh, within a county's lifetime that they have to. Right. Because here we are. You know. You got to look at Rutherford County. A hundred years ago, they didn't want to talk about it either. Mm -hmm. You can't go in a cemetery in this county, an old cemetery, that you'll not find several graves that'll have 1918, 1919 on them mm -hmm. at this very time, mm -hmm. and and they're out there. But when you have Nashville, that within a three-week period have a thousand people die in the same week, mm -hmm. can you imagine here in Rutherford County, if if we have 40 people die in a week? What do we do? Mm -hmm. What do we do? And and that's a possibility because you got to remember here in Rutherford County where we are located. We have an X across Rutherford County. We have 840 out here going across I-24. Mm -hmm. Everything in the world goes down those two roads. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, and we have buses. We have trains. We have airplanes. We have everything going through here. So we have to be prepared. We have to be ready. So sometimes we're going to have to talk about some of these things yeah we are i appreciate that and i always like to say on here because you know again 
when people like to complain about our city leaders and i'm sitting here with three of y'all right mm -hmm. now and county excuse me yeah. um that y'all deal with this stuff and y'all deal with and talk about the things that nobody wants to talk about that mm -hmm. you're not even aware of a lot of times you know so absolutely i appreciate y'all for that and we're just trying to keep it from being a subject yeah and uh, somebody's got to do it and deal with it but the uh public safety committee that chairman reads over and 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 all the county commissioners and the mayor are seeing the big picture of this mm -hmm. and i have a lot of confidence that um right now rutherford county you know if we were to have a major disaster we could handle it i just want to be able to do it a little bit more respectfully mm -hmm. and um we're headed in that direction and um I'm uh, happy to see the direction we're going, and we got the right people in the right lane to get us there, and, Good. and it's uh, going to happen. And Rutherford County is one of the counties that a lot of other counties depend on when they have a problem. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, it's um, I'm proud of that for our county. Yes. Talk a little and, bit uh, about both of you all and who, whoever um, wants to take this one. But I, in this topic of these things are difficult and hard to talk about, you know, that's true. But it's a whole lot easier to talk about them to the beat than to be the person uh, on the EMS truck responding and to actually provide the type of nurturing care for um, the family where you're when you're going and you arrive on that scene and then uh, you're transporting that I mean that that's not easy for people to be around those circumstances are not easy for people to be around but talk about your staff the folks that that ride in the trucks uh, I know you've um, you know in the the challenges that we've had it's hard to find people um, and there have been some strategic things you all have done to try to keep and uh, keep keep EMTs, keep paramedics, uh, as well as create uh, the best work environment you can considering the difficult job that they do. So talk a little bit about that. <clears throat> well, you're right, there's a national shortage. It's not just in Rutherford County, it's not in the state of Tennessee, but across the United States, there's this shortage of um, uh, paramedics and EMTs. Mm -hmm. And um, I've worked for Rutherford County EMS for right at 33 years and um, you know it's just something I've always wanted to do but it's not a job for everyone sure and um, a lot of burnout in it and after I became director um, I could relate to the paramedics and EMTs on the truck because I literally just came off the trucks before I became director. So, I, you know, I knew the aches and pains that they would go through after a 24-hour shift. And um, it was just wore out. Yeah. And um, so I called some members of my staff in and said, I brought them in my office and said, we're not leaving till we can figure out a way to start taking better care of our people. I said, we got to take care of them so they can take care of our patients. I believe that too. Mm -hmm. And um, 
so we come up with the idea of a 2472-hour shift. And what that means is they were they were working 24 straight hours, mm-hmm. then they were off for two days. I said, let's, how about a 2472, where they work 24 hours and they're off for three days. It gives them one day to recharge mm-hmm. when they get off, then they'd have their two days spend with their families and because family, you know, is just as important to them as it is to anybody else. That's right. And uh, we actually started that shift two weeks ago. So it's brand new. You just started. Brand new. Okay. And it was a huge recruiting tool for me because I was mm-hmm. I was about 18 people short hmm. prior to this. Since March, I've hired, I believe they told me, 32 or 38 people. That's counting full-time and part-time people. I could be wrong on that number, but I'm not uh, far off of it. Since March, and uh, I'm just about fully staffed. Great. That's great. And we hadn't been fully staffed in years. And you think that schedule, 24 on, 72 off, was the impetus for that? demand for yes. those for that job i do for those jobs and how's it working out well it's only been two weeks but is it being a success <clears throat> so far it seems to be now you know there's still a little couple bumps that we wasn't expecting and we knew that would happen but i believe um give me two more weeks and i can give you a lot better mm. but as of now uh everybody seems to love it That's um good. the first day that it happened the crew thought they were supposed to be at work because they wasn't <laughs> not used <laughs> to the schedule. Right, right. Yes. So it took them a little bit to get used to it. But mm-hmm. uh, so far, I actually talked to some of them tonight, and uh, they said they wished we'd have done it 20 years ago. Wow. Yeah. So um, I think, you know, the, our citizens are going to be benefiting from it because the paramedics, they will be getting her even more rested. Yes. Mm-hmm. And our paramedics will be more rested when they come into work. So I think it's a win-win for everyone. I think that is great. That is a good stopping point here, guys. Let's go ahead and take a quick little break, our last one of the night. Thank you all so much for being here. This is super interesting. Michael Lynn White and guest host Ronnie Martin. We'll be right back. Rhonda McCrary has been in the mortgage business for 29 years. She was voted as a favorite mortgage loan officer in the 2018 and 2019 DJ Ruthie Awards, and she's a proud member of the Middle Tennessee State University 1989 graduating class. She specializes in all types of mortgage products and takes pride in going the extra mile and personally taking care of her customers. You can visit her at 1639 Medical Center Parkway, Suite 203 here in Murfreesboro. Reach her by phone, 615-419-9193, or even apply online at loansbyrhonda.com.
Garrison Fork Trucking is a small trucking business located in Middle Tennessee. They aim to provide the highest quality of services for their shippers and receivers and offer the opportunity of job stability and quality of life for their drivers. Benefits include paid orientation and training, performance bonuses, no force dispatch, truck remains with the team, referral bonuses, direct deposit weekly, competitive pay, and a flexible schedule. Give them a call at 615-721-2286 or online at garrisonforktrucking.com. Stone Ford Golf Course in Manchester is the place to start your game in golf. Located next to the picturesque Duck River, it's a nine-hole course and costs $18 including a cart, $15 for veterans, and if you're 12 and under, it's free with a playing adult. Old Stone Fort Golf Course is located five minutes off I-24 off exit 105. The phone number is 931-945-0366. BioRenew Clinic is the place for you. Nutritional deficiencies are replaced to optimize your health and well-being. Services include bioidentical hormone replacement therapy, IV infusion, anti-aging, energy-enhancing detoxification, and immunity-boosting protocols. They're located at 803 North Thompson Lane, Suite 104 here in Murfreesboro. Phone number is 615-603-8957. That is BioRenew Clinic. back you're listening to the mr murfreesboro show here on wgns mr murfreesboro is off tonight i'm michael lynn white with my guest host ronnie martin not bill wilson not ronnie bill martin. wilson <laughs> i'm gonna take a minute to thank our awesome sponsors without them and of course without you listeners we could not do this show so regal title tabitha king thank you so much hey tabitha tabitha our friend Rhonda mccrary with iberia bank and Nate the Great Burns with Grand Slam Collectibles. Nate Nate's a cool guy doing lots of cool stuff. David Mathis with Gallagher Guitars. Okay. I know you know them, Ronnie. Yep. And let's see, Oakstone Builders, Chris Roland. We appreciate Chris. you. Mitch. He's, he's at the Yellowstone Dutton Ranch right now. Oh, nice. Yeah, I saw that on Facebook. I thought How that was fun. Cool. Yeah. I'm well. I want to come to the ranch. Mm -hmm. Mitch Robinson with Wheelworks. We have Garrison Fork with Garrison Fork Trucking, Bill Walker, Bio Renew, Stevie Smoot, Raymond Daltrey with Seasons Restaurant, and our friend Lynn Wallace. We were just talking about him and all the folks at the Do Job Jamboree, which they just had a show this past weekend. They're having another veteran show um, coming up in about a week at the Washington Theater inside Patterson Park. Thank you, sponsors. We appreciate you. We're not going to forget Dalton Barrett that's scratching the record over there to make us sound so good. Producer Dalton, we always appreciate you. Yeah. All right. So let's get back into this. Where were we, guys? Oh, yes. We have a caller. Thank you, Dalton. Okay. I think we know this guy. Hmm. <laughs> hey, guys. Hi. Hey. This is Rob Mitchell. What's up, Rob? Oh, just uh, on my way to a meeting and was uh, li I'm listening to you in the car as I drive. So, uh, hello, everybody. That uh, Y'all do a great job. And uh, I, I think, you know, what you guys are saying is, is spot on because we we have to think of different ways. And I think Commissioner Reed is is leading the ship with, with that 
we have to think outside of the box sometimes. When you get to be a county as large as what uh, Rutherford County is, uh, to make sure that things work as the citizens are going to expect them to. And uh, I think uh, I like the, the 2472. One of the things I don't think was mentioned is that is actually going to, it's been proven, shifts like that actually save tax dollars because you have fewer call-ins. Yep. Because people people have to take time if, if they're not off. They have to use their sick time to make oh, their doctor's employees. visits, yeah. to take care of things. Mm-hmm. And, and this is, that's, you know, I applaud you guys for doing that. It's smart. It's the right thing to do. And, and people respond to that. Nice. Thanks, I, Rob. Appreciate that, Rob. Yes. Thank you so much for listening and for calling in, Rob. I do, too. I'm so happy to hear that. Imagine, you know, taking care of your people that take care of you. That's right. Well, you got to remember, these people right here, you know, we, we always talk about that the firemen rush into the fire building mm-hmm. without the questioning. The police go in towards the shots. These people right here went into homes that you knew there was COVID in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how many people do we know went towards COVID? Yeah. And uh, they did an outstanding job and still doing that job now. So we've got to take care of them. Absolutely. And I'm so thankful that y'all are taking the steps and doing that, implementing those things. Mm-hmm. I tell you, this county is uh, is very fortunate to have uh, the EMS system that we have. And uh, I'm going to tell you, I, I call them kids because <laughs> – but <clears> – <throat> They never wavered from it. I mean, that's what kept me calm, and it was just because, uh, wasn't it that they were afraid? It's just that that's what is what we got to deal with, and it's really just like everything we go on. We don't know what it is until we get there and determine what it is. But you know, the COVID virus—it's an enemy, but it's an enemy we can't see. Right. And um but they they're the ones that gave me confidence in doing uh getting through it. I'm also real proud of the fact that we developed protocols to fight this thing that wound up being recognized throughout the state. And um we went through the almost the first year without a single paramedic uh, getting sick. Wow. Like what? what's an example of one of those? Just the protocols <laughs> they put in place to make just, sure. Right, just the, the way we was deconning and okay. um, the way we uh, started it was at the very beginning of this thing I was watching New York, California, and Chicago because that's where the hot spots were and their EMS system was just being de- depleted. Hmm. And uh, <clears throat> I was fortunate enough to have some connections to get the protocols that they were operating on. And it's nothing of their fault. They were just like us. They didn't know what to do. Mm-hmm. And um, so we laid them all out on a table in my office. I said, all right, let's look at these. And whatever they're doing, we're not. Mm. And so we just developed our own. And honestly, it's simple. Wearing in 95 PPE. Yep. Keep your hands clean. Mm-hmm. Keep them out. You know, keep hands off your face and stuff. And decon, decon, decon. 
Now, t- tell me what that means for the listeners, because I, I think I kind of know what that means, but I don't I don't use that word. So I don't Thank know you, Ronnie. It's just basically <laughs> cleaning. Okay. Yeah. Um, just sanitary environment. Exactly. Okay. And um, and that's what we did. And uh, we took something that was really really complicated, made it simple so we could, you know, stay in the game. Mm-hmm. And um, fortunately, it worked. That's great. And, um, Carl, I've got another question, not to okay. interrupt you. Um, so you you all are moving forward in some ways to attract people. You've got some new things happening. It's my understanding we also have a new medical director for the county. So talk a little bit about that, um, you know, what that transition was like, who the who the new director is, and uh, what, that, what that role is. Okay. <clears throat> um, let me start off telling you what the – medical director does I don't know if any of you ever been to a clinic where a PA or nurse practitioner that's who you saw Mm -hmm. well that person actually has is practicing under a physician's license okay same way with EMS we have to practice uh, under a physician's license so there's a supervisor so to speak well basically maybe um, no I mean they're not they don't go on calls or nothing like that. Okay. It's just we have to practice under their license. So our medical director we had, Dr. Uh, Russ Galloway, he's retired after 25 years. And we were doing interviews for a new medical director. And I actually had uh, three physicians put in, uh, one from each hospital here in this county. Stonecrest and uh, St. Thomas Rutherford I said well these are the two who service our county I want to benefit from both hospitals I'm going to hire both of them Hmm. so I took the pay split it they both agreed to it now for the first time we have two medical directors and it's really really going to work out good and the the beauty of it is both of these physicians were paramedics at one time, and both of them were directors of an ambulance service at one time. Wow. So I can learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Wow. And that the whole county will benefit from this. So I think it was an excellent move that we did. That's great. Y'all are just moving and shaking. Thank you for that, Ronnie. Yes. So we can educate ourselves a little bit, because I didn't know all of that was going on either. So much stuff going on and things to oh we're just getting started good (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate y'all doing so much um hard work for our county and for our city it just always amazes me so guys before we go is there anything else that we need to say i appreciate y'all i feel like we need a round two ronnie this has been there's so much information and so much we've talked about that we've just scratched the surface but this is so interesting tonight and i hope you listeners have enjoyed it because i have I would just like to say the fact that uh, we are very fortunate within this county to have individuals like Carl, uh, as well as our other department heads that give their time, that that sacrifice for the citizens of this county doing what they do. Yes. They spend a lot of hours out there, as, as Carl has mentioned here tonight, some of the things that they spend trying to make things better. Uh, we're just not sitting here... Uh, say okay we're just going to make the status quo no we're not we're going to find a better way to do everything we do here 
we don't like COVID. We don't like Spanish flu or any of these things slipping up on us. Mm-hmm. We want to be prepared. The whole time we were involved in COVID this time, when it first started, we were continually thinking, okay, we got to think of other ways that when the next one comes down the road, we're going to be prepared and ready to go. Mm-hmm. And that's what, what they're doing right now. Mm-hmm. And I think all our other departments are doing the same thing. I was with all the fire chiefs of uh, Rutherford County the other night. They're out there making the same plans and what's going to happen out here across the county. And I think in our police department, we're doing the same thing. So I'm just really proud of what we have here in Rutherford County. And I think it's going to be even better than what you see now. Well, I agree. And I appreciate y'all and I'm thankful to live here. I might not be from here, but this is my home now and I appreciate it. Ronnie, thank you. My pleasure. For being my guest host tonight, Glad Bill. Glad to be here. Bill, we might let you come back. We haven't decided yet. We might. Dalton said you can't come back. I'm just kidding. Thank you to our listeners, to our sponsors. We appreciate you. Michael Lynn White on the Mr. Murfreesboro Show. We'll be back next week.